0: If you like my show, you're going to love the official Lakers podcast on podcast one. Join Emmy award-winning sports reporter Susie Schuster and co-host Aaron Larsoul as they discuss the Lakers news of the day, break down the games from the week, and have exclusive interviews from players, coaches, and sports personalities. I've done the show before, really enjoyed it. So don't miss the official Lakers podcast every week on podcast one or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Real Jam Radio, I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. It has been a shockingly eventful week for mid-November in the NBA. You have the Jimmy Butler trade, which happened since the last time I recorded, Jimmy going to Philadelphia for Dario Saric and Robert Covington as the principals of the deal, and all the fallout from that and a lot of great reporting, of course, related to his departure and everything else. And then the more recent drama regarding the Warriors that, for now, at least crescendoed with Draymond Green getting suspended without pay for the Warriors Tuesday win over the Atlanta Hawks and great guest to talk about all of that. Ben Golliver of Sports Illustrated one of my favorite guests on the show and somebody who was actually at the Warriors Clippers game which had the blow up which led to the suspension so he gets some of the in-person take there and of course you know, very comfortable with the Jimmy Butler situation. Then we get into some other topics as well. It's mostly on those two things but we get into other stuff. Teams were enjoying watching and everything else. So podcast runs about an hour and it's brought to you by Rad Power Bikes new sponsor of the show. You go to Rad Power Bike Dot com slash podcast. You can check it out. They're doing an awesome Cyber Monday deal. BetOnline.ag great stuff going on there all the time and if you use that podcast one promo code you get a 50% up bonus Pluto TV leading free streaming television service and true car great place to buy new and used cars as I said runs about an hour lots to get to different angles I think you'll hopefully get some d- perspectives here that you haven't seen other places that is always the goal with real jam radio it was definitely the goal of this podcast so hope you enjoy
1: thank you so much for coming on Danny it's always my pleasure man uh, and I, I have great timing don't I because <laughs> golden <laughs> state uh, blows up the other night it's <laughs> very suspended And and, uh, KD is, you know, trying to uh, uh, kind of hold off the the questions about his free agency as best he can. I mean, uh, what a time to be alive.
0: Yeah, I mean, you and I had scheduled this time, and you're like, oh, it's going to be good. I'm going to get to see the Warriors play in person on Monday. And that was all we thought it was going to be, you know, the front end of a back-to-back against the Clippers. You know, then we found out Steph Curry wasn't going to be available. and. I've been working on kind of an analogy. I got a little bit bitter because I thought of it last night and then I didn't publish it because I thought I was going to put it in the podcast that based on the reporting that's out there from Marcus Thompson now available at The Athletic, my interpretation of what's happening is that it's like these discussions, arguments, whatever you want to call it. We've all had them at moments in our lives when something comes up and all of a sudden one of the people involved brings up something from a long time back or something that's kind of... Unrelated, and you're like, Oh, well, they must have wanted to talk about that because it's probably been bothering them for a while. And I think that's really both what makes this a, a potentially bigger thing and also why the Warriors brass handled this differently than they've handled some of the other Draymond Green eruptions.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, there was a lot going on uh, during that game, but just to that point, really quick. If I'm Kevin Durant, somewhere in his mind, he's thinking like, how would this be handled if – it was a LeBron James situation, right? Would anyone ever look off to on that final play if he was LeBron James? Would anyone call him the B word or bring up his free agency or challenge him in that type of way if he was LeBron James? And the answer is no, no one would do that. And that's never how it's been in the NBA, right? Uh, That kind of direct confrontation. Now you might get Kyrie Irving asking his way out of town in sort of a pass aggressive manner after the fact, but you're never going to have that like full, like, you know, head on collision like we saw with Jamon Green. So I think that's probably part of it for Durant. But for a team that's been together for a while now and function at a very, very high level, what struck me about the game Monday night was how avoidable it all was, Danny. I mean, you mentioned how these guys are sort of like old friends and something's been bothering them. It was clear to me from, you know, my seat in the media row that KD was in a bad mood all night because of the officials. If there was ever a, a day to give him a pass to say, oh, this guy is frustrated to not go back hard at him on the bench like Draymond did there was ever a day to just turn the ball over and say yeah go ahead you can have the last shot on that final possession that was the day because he was mad at mark davis he didn't think he four of his six fouls he didn't think were actually fouls and just being able to read his body language it was sort of the the moment to kind of like tread lightly and they just didn't do it and the other avoidable aspect to me and i think this is kind of a funny hypothetical or, or second guessing you know monday morning quarterbacking but imagine if curl uh, just calls timeout, right like the benefit of not calling timeout, is you're not going against a set defense. Would you rather be going against a set defense with Kevin Durant, who can create a shot against anybody with like five seconds left on the clock, or would you rather have your franchise consumed by uh, two days, or if not longer, of news cycles about uh, you know the internal dysfunction, questions about Kevin Durant's free agency, Draymond Green's role in all of it. Is he going to be a long-term piece there in Golden State? He's out 120 thousand dollars because you had to suspend him. Like, what is the benefit there? Like the cost, uh, the cost-benefit analysis is pretty obvious. There is just just call the timeout and avoid all of you know the, the lingering bitterness that happened afterwards. So uh, it's funny though. I mean, I guess the other way to look at it would be this. It could have been very avoidable on Monday night, but maybe big picture, these underlying issues are running so deep at this point that ultimately it was going to come out. And this is just how it happened to come out, right?
0: That last point is how I feel about it. I mean, generally speaking, going back to the argument analogy for people in their normal lives, generally speaking, when somebody has those feelings and chooses to express them in that moment, they were going to do it at some point anyway, often some point soon. So I think it would have boiled over, but I also think it's very unfortunate for the franchise that it happens so publicly because there are, I mean, people who cover the league know that there are boiling points in almost every locker room at various points during the season. The problem is that when it happens in public, there's no way to hide it. You know, like maybe you'll get those murmurs or something like that. I mean, there are various, I mean, you could go back. The Evan Turner has been recently, you know, talking a little bit about that Pacers team that blew up, you know, like that sort of thing. And so maybe it happens after the fact, maybe with this Warriors team, it would have come out earlier. But when it happens on the court in a key moment of not a key game, but a key moment of a game, the questions are going to come. And you can't and, and there was a lot of talk. I was I was in the media room for interview room for basically all of the major players last night and including Bob Myers and Steve Kerr. And a lot of them espoused the desire to keep it in house. And, you know, you can do that to a point anyway, you can just not answer questions like a lot of the guys did. But people are going to be asking the questions and that creates the avenues for something like what Marcus reported to come out is because if people know what questions to ask and maybe they have pre existing relationships, then there are people who might be willing to share that information, what however they're involved in it. And so I think it just made everything harder. But again, it's November and I don't think that this is going to affect them on the court very much. I think it is a clarification point. Eventually, if Kevin Durant chooses to head elsewhere, it's like, you know, it's a little piece of information in that. But in terms of like lower, lower, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say one
1: thing real quick on that. This should not be viewed as like a season altering crisis. They're going to get Steph Curry back. They're going to get DeMarcus Cousins back. But I do think it is a checkpoint like you're saying where if if KD goes to New York or LA next summer and people were starting to feel like he wasn't completely all the way bought in long term with Golden State, and this is an episode of that that kind of reveals those feelings, everyone will be able to look back and say, oh, yeah, like it was there under the surface. But I think there's been you know a decent amount of reporting about just sort of the weirdness around KD over these last couple months, even prior to this. But I was actually hoping maybe you could do it for your listeners. Can you just summarize the latest from Marcus in terms of where things are at just real quick so that everybody knows w- w- what you're referring to?
0: Sure. So basically, the, the conflict started with, well, I mean, beyond all the simmering stuff, as you talked about fouls and everything else, and these guys are both very intense players, and when they get frustrated and the Warriors were behind in the game, I'm sure those players felt they should win even without Steph Curry, that what happened was Draymond got a rebound with about six seconds to go. He also could have called a timeout and didn't, but I, I'm very considerate of the fact that he probably didn't know exactly how much time was left. He's like, I just need to push, and that's what players do. That's why Curry is the one who should have called the timeout. And he pushes. Durant wants the ball, is waving his hands. Also, Durant wasn't running with the play. So even if he'd gotten the ball, he probably would have been pulling up from the logo, which, you know, he can make that shot sometimes. So then after no shot happens and the Warriors are sitting back down because overtime is about to start, Durant is complaining two seats over to Draymond Green about not getting the ball. And Draymond starts out his response with basically like, who do you think you're talking to? And then pivots, the first pivot is, I'm Draymond Green, I did this long before you were here. And then the second pivot was, and something related to Durant's status and being non-committal to the team. And that's presumably what crossed the line. I mean, the first part Sure, that's probably an ego hit for Durant and everything else, but that kind of stuff happens all the time. But that second part, generally, you know, like, if you want to call it counting somebody else's money, if you want to call it well it's it's a character
1: attack it's an integrity attack and if i'm kevin it it makes total sense that that's the thing that would set him off so much and he did race out of the locker room he didn't do any post game so it was clear he was more upset by everything than anyone else in that locker room because the locker room was weird but it wasn't that weird draymond was he didn't do a scrum but he was still talking to other reporters it wasn't like he was still angry about it an hour later right it was kevin who was clearly the most upset about it and i get that because he wants to be viewed as part of the team he's he's kind of felt like Even when they're joking with him at the championship parade, like, is he really a part of this? Is he a mercenary? Is it Steph's show? Is it his show? Like, that awkwardness has been there and if I were him and as competitive as he is I would take that as a ta- an attack on my character it's like what do you mean I'm not part of this I've been here and I've won two finals MVPs you know who are you and again it goes back to what I was saying earlier about the comparison with LeBron I mean no one would have ever dared to question that uh, you know that kind of a thing to a guy like LeBron and I think in Kevin's mind he's on that same level right like yes he has full respect for for Draymond Green but like you know Draymond needs to have respect for him too and Uh, I think that's really what set him off because, look, Kevin swears like a sailor, right? I mean, this guy is always talking trash. He loves to go at people even on Instagram. I mean, he's he's a confrontational guy by nature. Like if it's going to be a a back and forth, he's not going to back down from it on the court. But it had to be something that rose above that, and I think you've hit the right issue.
0: Yeah, and it also – I mean, Durant, like basically all human beings, is a complicated guy, and I think this also could lead to him reflecting on this whole – decision and process. And there is an expectation by some, and I do not know if Durain is one of these people because I've never asked him about it. And even if I asked him, I'm not sure he'd give me a clear answer, just like I wouldn't give him one if if the situations were reversed with this idea that championships do not inoculate you from criticism and in Durant's case you know that's certainly true I think LeBron got more inoculated than Durant did by winning his titles even though there was plenty of mercenary in that too I mean he went to that Miami team and while they hadn't won as much as the Warriors had they were building an unbelievable team and I think the biggest thing that happened for LeBron that helped him in terms of that was actually losing the first year even though to me they should have won that championship I think of that as a pretty massive failing for a few different people them not doing that in terms of popular perception is important and so so from Durant's perspective, you have this idea of, hey, you know, like everybody was giving me crap. I'm not, I hadn't won a championship, all this kind of stuff. Maybe that noise will go down. And it's true. That noise has gone down, but there's all this other stuff. And the point that I would make on Durant's side of this is the noise would be a lot louder if he had never won a championship. I mean, we're dealing in an abstract hypothetical, but the point that I made, I actually think this is on the July 4th, 2016 version of dunked on. Was that if Durant had re-signed with Oklahoma City, my firm belief, because remember they had already traded Serge Ibaka for Oladipo, Oladipo wouldn't have been Oladipo playing with with Durant and Westbrook. That three to four years from that point, we would be discussing whether Kevin Durant was the greatest player in NBA history and never won a championship. And I think that as a player would be a more frustrating conversation to be at the head of than the like, oh, how much credit does he deserve for a championship? But that's hard to think of at the time. You know, you're it, it's it's something you never had to deal with.
1: Yeah, I mean, I. I would- look at it this way the legacy move I know everyone wants to say oh go win your own title in New York you'll be the man first of all (laughs) good luck trying to carry that Knicks franchise to a championship that is a real big ask to me the legacy move is to just stay in Golden State and get as many titles as possible I mean Durant has a chance to be what a top three all-time scorer you know more career points than Michael Jordan what if he gets five championships in Golden State let's say he has four or five finals MVPs like who's stacking up next to that and by the way, like, even if he just stays for this season and he's got three titles and potentially three finals MVPs, isn't he now above Bird? I mean, isn't he in that conversation where it's like, okay, on the all time, like, small forward list, it's basically LeBron, then KD, then Bird. I mean, you're starting to have those conversations very seriously, just like you would have a Steph versus Magic Johnson conversation this summer, a real reckoning this summer if Golden State was to win another title. So to me, it's in his best interest to keep this thing going in Golden State, but that really just hasn't been the sentiment, right? Like there didn't seem like there was a real bounce back even after the incident or like him trying to, you know, I guess resolve everything, put the pieces back together. Like you were saying, it was everyone just trying to sweep it under the rug and saying, oh, this is family business that we don't want to talk about. And I've been skeptical to believe a lot of the Kevin Durant rumors as they started to kind of grow last summer. But I think you would be naive not to believe that there's real juice and traction to them now. You know, based on things that have played out here over the first couple months,
0: right? And you talked about the legacy play. Really, the the risk that Durant is playing, and I personally believe that legacy stuff is should be less valued to players because it's just it is what it is. You know, there are always going to be criticisms, there are always going to be praise for different guys. For me, if if you care about legacy stuff, there is a massive risk leaving the Warriors because if he never wins another title, then it becomes you only won because you went with them, and you know that probably could have happened to lebron i mean granted those Cavs teams making it as many times as they did let's say they lose in 2016 that's still an accomplishment and i think some people would get that some people wouldn't so much more to get through with ben golliver including more on the warriors of course and jimmy butler trade but first message from a brand new sponsor to real jam radio rad power bikes and what they are is a consumer direct electric bike company that makes five unique models of electric bikes so since they are consumer direct, buyers get a premium electric bike without paying the huge markups that are caused by dealers and third-party retailers, priced often at half the price of comparable bikes on the market, because when you take those things out, you get big savings. And on top of those discounts, they're doing something really awesome on what's called Cyber Monday, which is the Monday after Thanksgiving, the 26th to be specific. They are giving deals on all of their models of electric bikes up to $400 off per model. And that's a one-day only sale. And on top of all that, those big savings on every model, Cyber Monday also includes free shipping on all electric bikes to the lower 48 states. And these are 750 watts power for all five models, which is the most powerful moto that an e-bike can have while maintaining a street legal status, no license, registration, or insurance required. You can find an bike for as low as 0% APR, just about $100 a month can get you riding. All five models can get you 20 miles per hour with zero pedaling. They give you the right, the choice to ride pedal-free with a throttle, five levels of pedal assist for an added boost, or a combination of the two, and you can get 20 to 40 miles on a single charge, which is awesome. So the way you check it out, go to radpowerbikes.com slash podcast. Going to them through that URL tells them that you came from us, you can check it out, and Don't forget to shop their Cyber Monday sale that is on November 26th to save even bigger, which is fantastic. And again, that's radpowerbikes.com slash podcast. It's the URL. But I want to pivot to the other guys and... There is really kind of a, a split here in terms of how people think about this. And I think there's only really one correct way to interpret it, which is some people will probably say, oh, well, you know, everybody's been saying the Kevin Durant free agency thing isn't a problem. was it? All this kind of stuff. That's what everybody involved has to say. There is basically no acceptable alternative in the way this works now than saying, oh, it's, you know, we'll figure it out. But it makes complete sense that this chatter both the chatter from the media, but also just the idea that it's uncertain would bother the players. I mean, he's a very important guy. They did sacrifice things to get him. And while that sacrifice was, was worth it to be sure it's, something that's hanging over them. And the only other point I'll make on that before I give you the floor is I know that players get frustrated by getting lots of questions on something like this, like Kevin Durant's pending free agency. The point that I would make if they ever wanted to ask me is we'd be asking them about other stuff anyway. So it's the Kevin Durant questions are replacing other questions. So they shouldn't be mad about that because those are actually easier to answer than most of the other stuff that would be asked.
1: Yeah, a couple of thoughts. First of all, the Warriors, it's not like they're J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson and guys who their entire careers have been like built by... LeBron James so they don't have any say in it right like the Golden State Warriors can easily envision a scenario where they don't have KD and they're still championship contenders right so their weight it's more of an agonizing of like okay do we have him or do we not have him it's not like we have to completely rebuild and reconstruct everything if he decides to go so uh, I think you know it's definitely a different situation and you know their leverage is significantly greater than everybody in, in Cleveland's as well so I get why that would be super annoying on a, on a daily basis you know I also kind of you know wonder though you know going forward here you know f- for Golden State is, are we sure Draymond's a long term piece right is there a scenario where Draymond overplayed his hand a little bit. You know, he obviously got slapped by, uh, you know, Kerr and Bob Myers with the suspension and, you know, it cost him $120,000 or whatever. But could there be a scenario where they look at their landscape and say, if we have KD, Steph, Clay locked in, we just move Draymond to, to add depth and, and fill in some front court pieces and go forward with that group? You know, could, you know, Draymond basically, you know, not be worth you know, th- this level of intensity because everyone was saying, oh, Kerr looks exhausted when he was doing his press conference and, you know, kind of Kurt in his post game against the Hawks the other night. I mean, what do you think on that, that, that theory?
0: I think there's a lot to it. And what are the important parts of that conversation? I mean, you have the talent evaluation portion, which is important, but also the personality, human element here. I mean, Curry and Clay Thompson are, assuming Clay is willing to resign, are the primaries there. You want to talk with them about how how they feel. And not that their opinion is, you know, you have to go with what they say, but it, it matters to the consideration here. But your point about how Draymond ages is extremely important. So Draymond Green is currently 28. He will turn 29 during this season, will turn 30 before his next contract kicks in, whether that is an extension or whether that is a new contract with the Warriors or someone else. And green, there are like five pieces in here that I've, I'm going to write. And so it kind of feels weird to lay it out now, but whatever, there aren't that many people that can do it. So I'm fine with that. So one is this idea that Draymond Green is kind of a victim of timing and circumstance financially. And I think this is in the background, I don't know this, I've never talked with him about it, with him as well, is this idea that he thinks he took a little bit less money, but after they had already won a championship to kind of keep these things together, which also helped facilitate Kevin Durant coming, though I don't think he knew that at the time, though it did. And he took a little bit less, and now what he might be looking at is a market that once he hits free agency again or the extension market just isn't as flush as it would have been if he had come out earlier. He signed a longer term deal than he had to, but that, you know, he had that money locked in and everything else. So that is is one element here. And then the other element of that is, yeah, who's going to age better? I mean, the answer is almost definitely Kevin Durant. Draymond, while he is an exceedingly intelligent player, intelligent players need their athleticism too. If he's getting from point A to point B more slowly, then his reaction time makes less of a difference. And so if he can't get to Anthony Tolliver's corner three to, to block it on a crazy contest, if he can't get there, then he's not there. And so that's a risk benefit that Bob Myers has to deal with and there is there is a credible argument that making a bet on Kevin Durant this summer, whether that involves trading Draymond Green or just basically letting him go at the end of it, is a is a worthwhile is a worthwhile thing from a basketball perspective. From a personal one, gets a lot more complicated because the other guys have been together a lot longer, and Draymond Green's an essential part of this. I mean, it, it, so it, it, all, fits, For it sure. all fits together.
1: Let me ask you a hypothetical. So let's say KD
0: <laughs> wants to... Can- I know where this is going.
1: Yeah, let's say KD wants to do what he did last summer, which is not do the long-term commitment because he still views like the short-term deal as being his best You know, in terms of his leverage. Let's say he wants to take a one-plus-one contract, You know, player option next summer, but he says, look, I'm only going to sign this deal with you if you trade Draymond if you're Bob Myers and basically the gun is to your head you get KD for one more year but it means you have to trade Draymond Uh, and you know possibly you know more than one year with KD if if things go right do you do it
0: I do not trade Draymond in that scenario if he was willing if he was willing to commit four or five years because the thing with Durant is he's already shown that he's willing to leave a good situation for another good situation Like that, that is established. And so, do I give up the possibility of a longer championship window and all of the acrimony that comes with that for probably one year of Kevin Durant? I don't. I I don't do that because, and that is coming even with the acknowledgement that Draymond Green's next contract might not be a good one. But KD... I,
1: I think I might do it, and, and the only reason why is because you could get parts back for Draymond. Sure, whereas, and, and
0: that's a consideration. Like, if another yeah. team makes you a stupid offer, like if another team gives you an all-star, or gives you something that can really fit in, I mean, it's not hard to find pieces that make sense with Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant. I mean, yeah, that's and, what that's where I'm going. But even if it's
1: not, like, an amazing offer, what if it's just sort of like what Minnesota just got with Sarich and Covington, right? Where... You just have two other solid guys. You know, at some point you're gonna to have to kind of replace Iguidala because he's aging out. Uh, you know, the the rest of their bench to me it's like, you know, kind of take it or leave it. I mean, there's a lot of guys who are, you know, only really getting good roles and, and contributing because they're playing with so many stars on a nightly basis, right? So if the plan forward was well, we still don't know where we stand with KD, but at least we've got, you know, two other quality starters we're getting back from Draymond, even if they're not stars, and we still have the three you know, best scoring, you know, trio in NBA history, basically the between Steph Clay and and Kevin Durant. Well, that's a pretty good place to be. And let's just hope we can figure it out with KD next season. I think I would be inclined to do that deal. And I love Draymond. You know how I feel about Draymond. He's like one of my top three favorite players in the league. I think with a gun to my head next summer, I would still do it.
0: The idea of the return is definitely worth considering. I think I was underselling that in my head. But yeah, I mean, those two guys in particular, like an idea like that would really help the Warriors. And theoretically, actually, yeah, I don't think the Wolves would be interested in Draymond. They actually could make some sort of offer like that. But yeah, it, it's definitely an interesting point. Lots more to talk about with Ben Golliver, but have a message from our friends at BetOnline. Now is a great time to check out BetOnline.ag. Lots of great sports going on basketball as you know action every single night and also while baseball is over football still you know you have college still have pros going on if you're into hockey other special events of course you can check all that out on betonline.ag and if you sign up and use the promo code podcast one you get a 50 sign up bonus which is fantastic it gets a little bit confusing in terms of when I've won the football challenge and when I when I haven't. I've won it so much recently, but if you use the hashtag #SportsNetChallenge, I'm. You know, and it supports the show also, and you could win a hundred dollars. So you need to use the hashtag, and then if you're doing that, include your account name in the tweet. And we have people that go through it, and if, you might be able to win, which is completely awesome. And check out betonline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a fifty percent signup bonus, which is fantastic. And whether it's making games that you were going to watch anyway more interesting or challenging yourself, you can go whatever direction you want with betonline.ag. The exclusive partner of podcast one Sportsnet. also want to tell you about pluto tv pluto tv is the leading free streaming television service you can watch thousands of movies over 100 tv channels on demand all completely free they never ask for a credit card and even better you don't even need to sign up to watch for free that makes it the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite tv shows and hit movies for free. You can download Pluto TV again for free on all of your favorite devices today. Include your phone, include smart TVs, Playstations, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, wherever you want to go with that. You can use your computer too. That's how I've checked it out before. Can do so. So what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again by downloading Pluto TV. So to get to get back to kind of how the how the rest of the team is seeing it, just briefly, I mean, going back to, to what Marcus is saying, because I don't have any independent reporting on this. I can understand why it would be grading on these guys. I mean, especially when, and this is something that's in there, a lot of the other players have done more to kind of tamp down the chatter, and Durant pretty actively has not done that. And I think the chatter would be there no matter what because he's not clay thompson you know clay thompson has only ever re-signed with the warriors so it's a lot easier for him to say that's what i expect to do and everybody just go okay you know that that's that's the way it works like when i include him in these perspective free agent pieces it almost always has the caveat of nobody expects him to leave you know like that sort of thing and kevin durant will never get that expectation because he already has and because that's not his personality all these other things but on a human level I understand why somebody basically going, oh, well, I'm going to I'm going to do what I'm going to do and keeping this as open as he has and not really trying to do anything, even if it wouldn't have worked would make you a little bit frustrated like, hey, I did what I needed to do to get all these people off my back. You haven't done that. I could see why that would be a little bit frustrating.
1: Hey, I've got an idea and it could backfire. I don't think transparency is always the best solution. I mean, you kind of look at Minnesota and you see some real downsides to Jimmy's transparency in terms of how he kind of behaved and how it basically blew up their situation. But there was so much reticence, Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, the other Warriors players who you mentioned earlier, and even KD about sort of like how they feel and You know, the the truth starts to trickle out when you see a blow up on the court like this. I'm wondering if just not maybe full transparency, but close to full transparency just might be the right solution here where it's bottled up just kind of unnecessarily like could we get just truth serum from steph curry and draymond and clay could they just you know have a press conference one day and be like yeah it's awkward not knowing his future we're not going to pressure him we really want him back but we were here before he was uh here with us and it would be great to have some sort of a a firmer commitment from him in terms of what he wants to do and we understand if he can't give that to us but that's what we want if everybody just kind of put their cards on the table and that includes kd if he could just say look i don't know yet you know i want to just play this year out i'm sorry it's holding everybody else up if he was able to just speak his mind freely freely in terms of where he's at right now is in in his decision-making process I think that would be healthier, and I think look no further than Myers and Kerr in terms of their body language, their exhaustion, and everything else the other day. I think they should kind of put their cards on the table with this, too. I mean, it was kind of funny. Bob Myers was attached at the hip with Rich Kleiman on that game Monday night. I mean, all day, they were just sort of like, you know, before, during, and after the game, they were just walking around together, you know, and obviously the Clippers are one of those teams that's kind of trying to peel away Kevin Durant, too, right? I mean, maybe it'd be just be better for everybody if you just had, like, the red wedding, (laughs) of transparency here where everyone just says exactly how they feel uh and you know if there's still unresolved issues so be it but at least they're out in the open and and people don't have to guess i think that could be healthy for a team that's as good as golden state where the only team that beats them this season is themselves i mean their talent gap between them and everybody else in the western conference and even who might come out of the eastern conference i mean those teams whether it's boston philly uh, toronto they don't have the experience to win a final series they just don't i mean they haven't been there before and so i i think rather than be your own worst enemy why not just uh, take some true serum pills and, and see what happens
0: I will note that a lack of transparency arguably led to the Red Wedding, but that's neither here nor there. This isn't a Game of Thrones pod yet.
1: No. It but, was a forced analogy by me. I, I'm not a big uh, Game of Thrones person. So No, it's funny because you could make, make it you
0: could make it you could make an argument in in a different part of that. And yeah, I, I, I think this gets into the idea that players now show more of themselves publicly. And there's always this idea of the team as the mo- as, as the isolated tower. And I mean, the Patriots are a great example of this. That's kind of the model franchise that everybody wants to do. But I don't think that's – the Spurs are another example of this. I don't think that's sustainable with modern communication. And the fundamental problem with that approach, the approach that the Warriors used, and we saw it within 12 hours of when they did it, Was there are always going to be people who want to talk and there will always be vehicles for their message to get out. And so doing it the way they did ensures that the leakers get control over the story. And that's the biggest argument for transparency is if you're more open about it, then this type of story doesn't have to happen the way that it does. And... That, in many ways, could tie in with, with to go into the other story that is important in the league right now that just res- resolved to a point, the Jimmy Butler situation. I mean, the Jimmy Butler situation has a, a, a series of different kind of personality, decision-making failures in it. And I think the most important one of those, and this came up in John Krasinski and Shams Trania's post-mortem piece, is that Jimmy Butler reportedly told... Thibodeau in May that he wasn't going to resign. Now, partially because he's the coach and partially because he's Tom Thibodeau, he did not interpret that as a trade demand. But as a, you know, CBA nerd, as somebody who's been in this world for a long time, that's how I would have interpreted it. He also didn't tell Glenn Taylor, all these sorts of things. And what happened was, whether we're talking May or we're talking July or even but anything before the actual formal demand, that is, I think, the biggest factor that led to worse offers than Jimmy Butler making his demand late because Jimmy Butler thought he'd already made his demand.
1: Yeah, I mean, the whole thing seemed botched to me. I mean, why doesn't he just go to Glenn Taylor like the day after the season and say, look, give me this ludicrous max extension that I'm asking for or trade me. I'm not going to play another game for you if you don't give me that contract. Like, is there any way that the Timberwolves season gets screwed up this year if he had just done that? And I understand that might be a little bit out of the ordinary, but, you know, at the same time. Like I think that's an ownership decision. Like I I don't think there should have been any miscommunication about trade demand, not trade demand that was allowed to drag into the season. And ultimately, you know, Jimmy's agent, you know, reportedly had to sit down with the owner. What was it, like September? It's like that should have been happening in June, right? I mean, it's it's not that complicated. I just think it, it speaks to not only to the dysfunction that Jimmy created, but also just Minnesota's like just general dysfunction. I mean, I think if you're the owner, you need to make sure you're in complete alignment with your franchise player and with your coach and with your general manager and clearly that was just not the case. Imagine this ever playing out you know with the Golden State uh or a Miami or a San Antonio or these other organizations that we look as you know very stable and and functional places and it just would never have happened. In terms of the Philly side of things though I'm curious. I think most people would agree the defensive fit there is is pretty clean. Are you in agreement there and then what about offensively how, on a 1 to 10 scale how can, are concerned are you about the fit with Jimmy and ben? And, and Joel.
0: Defensively, it's going to be awesome. I mean, you have Joel Embiid as the rim protector who is more athletically versatile than most of the great rim protectors in the league now. And so that gives you even more flexibility. And then now, two different capable high end perimeter defenders I mean I think Ben Simmons defense is underappreciated and so you have Jimmy Butler who not only can go after most of the big dogs in the league whatever position they play but he wants to and that's important too you know there's I mean for example Kevin Durant basically didn't guard Giannis in the in the Bucks game and I don't know if that was Kerr not wanting to put him on if that was Durant not wanting that job that's that's something to talk about as well so Jimmy Butler wants those assignments so that means Ben Simmons can be guarding the other team's second best guy he can do that very very well So defensively, I think it's, it's wonderful. And even if they have to use imperfect defensive players at the other spots, you can make that work offensively, a couple of big concerns. One of them is just practical. Jimmy Butler likes the ball in his hands, and Ben Simmons is not particularly useful without the ball in his hands because he he doesn't shoot, he doesn't want to shoot, and everybody knows it. It's not one of those circumstances where, like, I talk about this sometimes with Justice Winslow or Brandon Ingram, where you know they're not a bad shooter. It's just that they don't really create the opportunities that often. They don't really want to. Ben Simmons, everybody on the planet knows that if you if he doesn't have the ball and you give him like ten feet, he's not going to take that shot. He's not going to do the catch and shoot three. So that creates less space for Joel Embiid, it creates less space for Jimmy Butler, all that kind of stuff. And so, and in a playoff series, that gets even greater. So my, my concern on offense is pretty high, it's probably like an 8, because even adding spacing around those guys doesn't really solve it. It helps, you know, having J.J. Redick and player X, I mean Kyle Korver would bring a whole bunch of defensive problems, but... Let's say they can get somebody who's, you know, more of a three than a D, but still can do enough of each to make it work. The, those those concerns are still there.
1: Yeah, my concern is similarly high on offense. You know, I think the the one saving grace for them could be how just quickly they can, and regularly they can get to the free throw line. I mean, Joel lives on the free throw line. Butler is a downhill, you know, battering ram. He's going to get to the free throw line. And Simmons is a guy you have to foul a lot, you know, because he's such an interesting combination, especially in the open floor of, of size and strength. Strength and speed and, and ball handling, uh, so that could help make up for some of the spacing issues that are, are definitely going to be there, but I, I absolutely have pecking order questions with this group, uh, and I think it could be a situation, it's not a perfect comparison, but you know, once the Thunder added uh, Paul George and Carmelo Anthony last year, I immediately wondered, is this going to be a group where their core trio winds up being like a whole is greater than the sum of the parts or do they always just sort of, you know, leave, you know, something to be desired in terms of how they mesh? I think it's going to be a similar situation in, in Philadelphia and especially the Ben Simmons uh, part of this because if you're trying to build an ideal team around Simmons or, or at least an ideal offense, I'm not sure that team would have Embiid or Butler. I think it would look a lot more like the Cavaliers when they put four shooters around LeBron or look a lot more like the Bucks do currently, you know, trying to space things and just max three-point shooting around Giannis. And Butler, like you said, is going to be taking away touches and and playmaking opportunities from Simmons. And Simmons can't be used off the ball at all. You know, with Embiid, like he's a very high usage center. He's a very, very good scorer, but usually he's a body in the paint, right? And that makes life a little bit more difficult for Simmons. So Uh, To me, I think their ceiling this year is limited to, like, the Eastern Conference Finals in a best-case scenario because I just don't think they're going to be able to have a top-10 offense. You know, I think best-case scenario, they're maybe slightly above average, and you combine that with a really good defense, and, and you're still not quite there to that elite level that you would need to be at. But I think the bigger question long term is like if I'm on Team Simmons, like if I'm his agent or I'm somebody managing him, I'm looking at that scenario and I'm thinking, huh, is this really how he blossoms into the quote unquote next LeBron? Is this really the environment where he's going to be able to reach his maximum stardom, his maximum impact where he's a triple double guy every single night? Or could there be a different situation for him out there? And obviously it's difficult to trade a guy on a rookie deal. And, you know, Philadelphia would be asking for an awful lot in a, in a trade scenario. But if I'm Simmons's people and this thing doesn't work out that well, let's say they go out in the first round of the playoffs or even the second round, I would be going to management and be saying, look, we didn't ask you to trade for Jimmy Butler. We definitely didn't ask you to give him max money. We thought Ben was going to be like the centerpiece of this whole thing when you guys drafted him number one overall. What exactly is your plan here going forward? I think those are completely legitimate questions to have and – you know, of course, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. We have to watch this play out here over the next six months. But in the back of my mind, I'm kind of wondering how well does this move, this Jimmy Butler trade and potential re-signing, how well does that fit Ben Simmons's vision of Ben Simmons?
0: Yeah, that's definitely an interesting idea. And Joel Embiid will probably have the ball in his hands, less too. I mean, you have all these different pieces running together. And I mean, when Ethan. Nate and I did the Time to Panic episode of Dunked On last week. Something I talked about was that I thought Fultz, Simmons, and Embiid didn't really fit together. Butler is a better fit than Fultz Fultz with Simmons, but not a perfect one, not by a long shot. And success can protect against a lot of this kind of stuff, but they're gonna have to have early success because otherwise guys are gonna get frustrated and everything else. And I do think that one of the most fascinating kind of risk assessments in this trade from Philly's perspective was the idea that what if they didn't get somebody in free agency? Because they just walked out of 2018, July 2018, without anybody saying yes. I mean I thought Paul George was a wonderful fit for them. And there was a significant chance that KD and Clay Thompson and Kawhi were all going to say no, there was a significant chance it should be Butler was going to say no. And so this makes it a lot more likely that they walk away with somebody who really can elevate them. And I understand that rationale even if Jimmy Butler is not a perfect fit.
1: Yeah, I mean I can understand why they took the risk. I mean, especially because Fultz has just been so bad. I mean, Fultz has been playing so poorly and so unevenly and just like inconsistently and like unreliably that I would be motivated to make a uh, take a big swing too. It just makes me a little bit nervous anytime a first time GM comes in and cashes out two pretty quality players, guys who fit pretty well with, uh, you know, your, your core two stars for a guy with real serious fit questions. It just makes me wonder, like, will their undoing, uh, come from the turnover on the executive side rather than, you know, what's happening here, you know, actually on the core? Because, you know, obviously the Colangelo thing kind of looks, you know, weighs over everything and you know now you've got a situation where Elton Brand and, and whoever else is in charge i mean it's a very natural impulse to kind of like try to you know put your mark uh, on a franchise when you get into that job and you know trading for a star is a very tempting thing to do I, I heard some other rival executives who were sort of you know new into their positions who were really pushing adamantly for a butler trade because they said how often can you get a top 10 player well look how that worked out for Thibodeau, right? Like it got him into the playoffs, but it also is probably going to cost him his job a a year later. And so I think you've got to be careful and cautious. And the more experienced GMs, you know, like Pat Riley, for example, his hands-off approach with Jimmy Butler once things got a little bit too weird, I think that's telling. I mean, the guys who really have lasted in this league – I've thought, well, you know, there's some real risk factors here. And when you're a a newer GM, maybe you don't see all of those potential risks and you just talk yourself into the best-case scenario. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, what do you think – do you think they can be a finals team? Like what's the best-case scenario for them in 2019 – uh, now that they've made this move?
0: I think they can make the finals. I don't expect it. I, I think that the Raptors in particular match up pretty well against them. I mean, the way that Kawhi could be a force in that series and the different defensive weaknesses of the Sixers, I think that you know Kyle Lowry could do pretty well against them. They're a lot, it would be an interesting series, but I, I think that... And the, the Celtics, I just need to see what their offense looks like in a, in a few months. I think they have the, the bones to be a really, really good team. I mean, we've seen what their defense does. And... I don't think Jimmy and Ben Simmons, Embiid is the exception, but Al Horford is defended him better than anybody in the league, are dominant enough one-on-one players. And that's the Celtics' biggest weakness, is guarding these elite one-on-one players. Like, that's what Kyrie and LeBron did against them for years. And I don't think the Sixers really fit that. So I wouldn't expect it, but it's a possibility that I'm going to acknowledge just because oh. all these teams are pretty close. And then the Bucs, of course, are the Bucks.
1: Yeah, and that's a great, great point on the one-on-one. Like, th- Philadelphia, at its best, should not be playing, like, one-on-one basketball in the playoffs, right? It should be this, like, beautiful orchestra of offense with Simmons kind of conducting and Embiid being this dominant force, and they're getting up and down, and it should be, like, the beautiful game-style basketball. And if it just turns into this grind, Jimmy Butler one-on-one thing where, you know, Simmons' guy is, you know, banding him 10 feet off the, the three-point line, and Embiid's kind of clogging things up in the paint— you've already lost, right? Like you've lost philosophically. And I guess when I'm looking at the very best teams, especially to start the season, the teams that have been the most impressive to me, it's been like Golden State, Milwaukee, Toronto, who you mentioned, and and even Denver, you could throw them in there. And it's, you know, it's much more beautiful offense. You're not working hard for it. It just comes natural. You've got amazing playmakers doing their thing in space. And I just worry like, you know, there, there's some downside here. And I'm not trying to be too pessimistic towards Philadelphia because I agree about what you said with the the defense. I mean they should be a top 3 defense. All three of those guys are, you know, all defensive level players in terms of their core guys, but I, I do worry that that beautiful flash that we saw from the Sixers at the end of last season where Simmons was just, you know, looking like, uh, you know, a future Hall of Famer, whether that's going to get muddled here in the short term.
0: It absolutely could. I mean that that's a, a part of this. Still have plenty more with Ben Goliver, but first a message from our friends at TrueCar. If you're looking to buy a car, you are probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. It is enough to confuse anybody. All you are really looking for is a price that actually means something. Introducing True Price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories, before you even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for that same car you want, Your certified dealer knows this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new, or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all Allstate. And something that I'm excited about with kind of both of these twin dramas is that they not resolved because we don't know what the heck's going to happen with Durant and Draymond Green, but they've reached a kind of a point of clarification this early in the season. So there's a lot more that we can see. And one of the other stories of the Jimmy Butler trade is going to be, how Covington and Sharich look being bigger fish in a smaller punt. I mean, I thought both those guys were in a really great circumstance, especially last year with the Sixers. Talented passer in Ben Simmons, but he doesn't, you know, he takes plenty of shots, but not, not kind of a different mentality than a lot of the other dominant passers of his era. Harden is more of a scorer than Simmons. LeBron is more of a scorer than Simmons to me. And... They were getting open threes. They were making open threes. They could compete defensively. Covington is better as a team defender than a one-on-one defender, you know, like just sick him on the other team's best guy and wipe him out. And now they go to a circumstance where they replace a high-usage guy. So now not only do they get put in a different circumstance, but now Towns and Wiggins do. So I'm substantially more interested intellectually in the Minnesota Timberwolves now than I was a week ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, the fits aren't terrible. I mean, for... Obviously for them, the big thing is going to be just a release of all the stress, right? And I think you're going to see, I mean, Towns' response, what, 25 and 21 in the first game? Doesn't that just say it all? I mean, it's like, okay, like now I can go back to being the guy who I thought I was going to be before my career was kind of like derailed or or sidetracked there for a couple years uh, in between. I mean, I think the fits are pretty nice with their main lineup. I still don't think they have enough talent top to bottom, you know, outside of like their top six guys to be a playoff team this year but I do think that like getting rid of all the scrutiny and all the attention will return them to their natural habitat. I just don't think that they were ready for prime time. I think that, you know, Thibodeau got there. They could not defend anybody. And he's thinking like, well, I need to have like a quick fix solution here because I'm not going to be able to improve Towns and Wiggins enough here over the next year or two to fulfill a playoff mandate. Right? So uh, I understand his motivations and wanting to do that deal. But I also just don't think, like, this team wasn't ready for all the attention. The organization's been so bad for so long. You know, that can kind of seep in in all different ways. And Butler realized that, you know, probably top to bottom from ownership on down, they weren't really ready to be true contenders. And that's why he wanted out. And I think going back to the shadows, you know, just saying, like, okay, talents, like, go back to be a, ple- a pleasant surprise, right? It's almost equivalent to like Anthony Davis, you know, early in his New Orleans tenure where there wasn't the the massive expectations year after year. It's just sort of like, hey, if you can carry these guys to 40 wins and put up huge numbers, like people will still think that, you know, you have a really promising future rather than demanding more than you're ready to give at this point. I think that will suit them better. And they really need a guy like Covington. I mean, they've been terrible on defense. Towns is Uh, a real question mark in terms of can he be the the defensive captain of a team. And so you need as many quality perimeter defensive guys as you can get. And and to be able to plug Covington in there, uh, that was a nice piece to get back for Thibodeau. I mean, compare that to like an Eric Gordon. I know he was in rumors or or even Josh Richardson. I, I think you could have a real argument that you know Covington is is right there with either one of those guys in terms of you know a quality asset that Minnesota could really use.
0: Minnesota can use him, but it puts a lot more on Thibodeau and the coaching staff to work offensively. I mean, now maximizing Carl Anthony Towns is a much greater consideration because you don't have Jimmy Butler to do a lot of that stuff. And so now Wiggins, I don't think he can shoulder that burden. He's actively failed at that in the past. So Jeff Teague can help, and he's coming back from injury and all that. So I think, yeah, this is going to be a clarifying year for a lot of their, their different guys. Guys, And my instinct is that the biggest change that's left for Minnesota, and I've criticized Thibodeau a lot as a general manager over time, and there are reasons for that. And some of that is also Glenn Taylor being there. I mean, I don't put the Wiggins extension on Tibbs. I put that on Glenn Taylor. But I don't think he's the right coach for this team either. This isn't a Doc Rivers situation where I think it's the right coach and he's just a bad GM. I don't think he knows what to do with Carl Anthony Towns. It's just so far outside of his experience at having your most talented offensive player be a center and not only being a a center, but being a kind of a a hybrid, not truly a back to the basket, a lot of different things. And Towns has his own foibles offensively, defensively, everything in between. And it's a hard job. I think figuring out how to maximize this this Timberwolves team is challenging. I don't think most coaches are up to it. And I think Thibodeau is included on that list.
1: Let me ask you this: He's gone, right? This, I mean, this is it.
0: It feel. I, I mean, if it were a well-run team, yes. I, 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 feel like it's clear to me at this point that that's what should happen. Now, betting on something being obvious and should happen, and then it happening on a Glenn Taylor run team is not always the case.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering in terms of like who you go forward with. Would it be crazy to look at a guy like Monty Williams, who coached Anthony Davis, uh, you know, early in his career? Would that be too obvious of a? of a, a, link there and think, well, maybe he could do a better job with Thibodeau. I mean, Monty is a very compassionate, nice guy. I mean, I think, and he can be a, you know, a hard headed coach too when he needs to be. He can be a disciplinarian, but I just think Thib- uh, Towns needs a different personality to coach him. You know, I don't think that the bond between him and Thibodeau personality-wise would ever work. I mean, they're they're kind of oil and water to me, for the same reason that Towns didn't really work with Butler. I'm not sure he's ever going to work with Thibodeau. And I feel like a guy like Monty could make some sense. Maybe he makes too much sense, and Minnesota won't figure that out. But that would be a guy I would circle and, and think about giving him a look.
0: I would consider that. I don't know from a personality standpoint, but somebody that I thought of was Chris Finch, who gets a lot of credit for what Denver did and also at moments what New Orleans did. Just because Towns is a hard guy to figure out, and he's done a good job with big men with unusual skill sets, so I would go kind of in that. And you're right. The personality element of this is really challenging, too. I mean, it sounds like from all of the the wealth of wonderful reporting out there about the Jimmy Butler situation that that was a big part, too. I don't think that's why Jimmy's leaving, but I do think that's a big part of why it has been so tumultuous is that they have all these kind of different personalities. It was a caustic mix, and they didn't really have a coach involved that could resolve those situations.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, how long until they return to the playoffs? Let me ask you that.
0: I think it'll be a couple of years. They certainly have the talent to be in there. Unfortunately, Minnesota's in the Western Conference, so it's probably gonna keep taking more to get in there than it will in the in the east. And yeah, I I think it'd be that. Do you have any difference of opinion there? No,
1: I I think it's gonna be at least two years. Oh and actually quick interjection.
0: I think of them kind of like last year's Clippers. Granted those Clippers teams were hurt a lot, but where you know, like they can beat a lot of teams if things go well on a given night. They have the talent, if Towns goes off, if Wiggins has one of those nights where his jump shot's falling but that it's hard to say they're going to be like a 45-win team. And that's kind of where you're drawing the line right now.
1: Yeah, that's why I think it could be two or three years. I mean, I think they really need to kind of replenish everything, you know, around their their main guys. I would really consider trading Wiggins now, too, uh, if you're able to at all. I would look at doing that and just viewing this as Towns' team. So I think, I, I guess my takeaway on that, the reason why I asked the question, is just I feel bad for Timberwolves fans. I mean, what... A series of you know kind of embarrassing gut punches over the last couple of months, and then to realize that like the hyped you know Jimmy Butler era produced you know zero playoff series victories, you know one playoff appearance, and then you know another couple of years of heartbreak as they dig out of it. I mean that's pretty pretty rough.
0: And not only one playoff appearance, but one win after basically everybody already thought the series was over. You know like it was it was a win certainly you acknowledge that, but it was it was pretty damn hollow. So you have that. One other kind of part of the Minnesota, I I brought up the Clippers. There's another reason why I did, which is that I, you know, you you think about trades in a lot of different avenues, and one of them is like, what is the value that that team is getting from what they got? And I just think with Covington and Charge, those are good players at great contracts right now, but... If what they do is make Minnesota a 39-win team instead of a 36-win team or 34-whatever that's going to be, you know, that's still useful. I'm not going to say that makes them bad players or anything like that. It's just, it's not as valuable. And I wonder if this is a case where they got something good in return, but it's not something that helps them as much. And so I I don't know exactly what that makes. That doesn't necessarily make it a bad deal, but it does decrease their return if you want to think about it that way.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think it was a bad deal. I think it was fine. I mean, yeah. considering the circumstances, I mean that's a really. I mean, we talk about being backed into a corner. I mean, that's backed into a dark corner in an alley in like the worst part of the city in the most crime ridden <laughs> state. You know, just like go right down the list. I mean, that's yeah. As and bad they as it and gets. we
0: should note they backed themselves into that corner to an extent.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, that's why I said they should have. You know, they should have known what Jim where Jimmy's head was at as soon as last season ended, and they didn't. But. They did fine, but I, I think that the days of people like you and me spending 20 minutes talking about the Timberwolves are numbered. <laughs> I, I think that we're going to be, uh, you know, going back to overlooking them for the next couple of years, and it's going to be a lot of stuff like, wow, when does Cap become a free agent? I think those are going to be the reasons why we talk about Minnesota, and again, that's kind of a shame.
0: It is a shame, and presumably we'll talk about Gorgie Jang's contract and all that kind of stuff. I'll end this. I know your time is valuable with just what you're going to be looking for over the next couple weeks as we're still pretty early in this drama-filled season. You know, we we had so
1: many depressing topics here today, Danny, whether it was like, you know, Philly and, and Minnesota and is Golden State's dynasty going to blow up? To me, the best feel good story in the entire league right now is the Milwaukee Bucks. It's driven by Giannis. He's an incredible player to watch in person. I just saw him on Saturday, but their team as a whole just has such a great vibe. Not only is, you know, their offense going right according to script, you know, under Coach Bud, just like everybody expected, tons and tons of three pointers. Everybody gets touches. The ball moves. There's plenty of space for Giannis. So all of that stuff's happening. But I think these guys mentally are just in a different place than they were a couple of years ago. You know, the last decade of Bucks teams it's always like oh we take one step forward one step back we don't really trust who we are we're not really sure what the direction is you know do we have the coaching needed to win in the playoffs and so on and so forth this team really seems like they've got a confidence that they could be a sleeper whether that's a sleeper going to the eastern conference finals whether that's a a sleeper sneaking into the finals I mean they just have that level of confidence and, and certainty about who they are and I love it because the style of play has been fun to watch. Giannis again I think is going to take another step up here in terms of becoming a household name, you know, across the globe as as a basketball sensation. And I just think that they deserve so much credit for making that coaching change how and when they did. Probably could have even been earlier, but they nailed their coaching hire and it's going to pay dividends I think all season long. To me, they've been right up there with the Lakers in terms of the most teams, uh, fun teams to watch night to night in terms of entertainment value, and and some of the Lakers, you know, entertainment value is coming just from the chaos factor. But just in terms of playing the game the right way, playing with lots of effort, seeing how much uh, work Giannis does on both ends, and how it's paying off now, uh, it's just beautiful to see. And I think that they still deserve, you know, the national attention that maybe they they are still working to get. I think any time we can get a chance to kind of you know shine the spotlight on them and say, hey, this is a success story, we should do it.
0: Wholeheartedly agree. Also, them being an incredibly fun team to watch is is important here. And my, my other favorite team to watch, I'm not going to rank them, though it's probably Bucks one, are the Raptors. I've loved watching the Raptors this year. Really, and, and since they're still evolving, it's an interesting team. Siakam, just one Eastern Conference Player of the Week. It's been fun to see him blossom a little bit. And, you know, they're, they're two teams that are still... That have a lot of talent that are still figuring it out and that just have a penchant for playing interesting games, even sometimes when they lose, like that Bucks. Blazers game was, was fascinating and Raptors getting their butts kicked by the Pelicans. I mean, some of that was hitting and missing shots, but like, they're just two really interesting team to watch. And I've enjoyed the East generally being more engaging this year than it has been in prior years.
1: I hear you. I mean, if, if I told you right now the conference finals were Golden State, Denver, Toronto, Milwaukee, would you just take it? I'd take it. Like, if I could have those, I'm in. You know, like, I give me all four of those teams. They're fun to watch interesting matchups new names like new head-to-head matchups Kawhi versus Giannis. you know is denver ready for prime time we've already seen golden state beat basically everybody else you know in the playoffs so that would just sort of be a new foil for them you know i'm not sure denver's you know quite ready to do that but man if that was the final four that would be pretty pretty good especially it may be you know better for the basketball nerds than you know the nba's uh, tv ratings potentially but i would take that right now if you give it to me
0: it would be a blast So yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. Unless there's something else you want to discuss, I'll thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thanks for having me, Danny. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks again to Ben Golver for taking the time to come on. You can, of course, read him at Sports Illustrated. You can listen to the Open Four podcast that he does with Andrew Sharp. And you can follow him on Twitter at Ben Golver, B-E-N-G-O-L-L-I-V-E-R. Love talking to him about this. It ended up with... This came up during the podcast, but we had scheduled this day and time like a week ago and all of this stuff happened between that scheduling and this. So it was great to have that material to to go through with him and his perspective on everything else. And thought he asked some really good questions of me as well, which is something I love in guests because it makes for an even better conversation. I view it as a conversation. That was the dominant story this week. Who knows where it'll be next week? I, I Maybe it'll be a team-specific podcast. I don't know yet. It'll be going in a lot of different directions, which is always really, really, really fun. And- if you want to support the show, there are lots of ways that you can do so. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. If it's not, you can honestly do both. It's it's a great way to support the show. Every once in a while, if I need to pick me up, I go through and read the reviews as well. It's more so other people can find the show, but it's great for that as well, for making me feel good about <laughs> the time I put into all this stuff. And can also subscribe, download every episode. That's a particularly great thing to do with Real Jam Radio because I do not release it on a specific day. It is all about guest availability for me. So if you can check that out, then it just pops into your podcast player whenever there's a new one. And of course, the most important thing for this show and any other one that has them is checking out our advertisers, Rad Power Bikes, radpowerbikes.com slash podcast, especially if you want to do that on Cyber Monday, which is November 26th, you get that way bigger savings because they're doing that awesome sale and free shipping. BetOnline.ag, all sorts of events going on every day, which is great. Podcast One promo code gets you a 50% signup bonus. Tells them you came from us. Pluto TV, you can just check it out. No promo code or anything there. Just check out Pluto TV. And TrueCar, great place to buy new and used cars. I produced a lot of material. Over the last week, I mean, of course, Nate and I, with Dunked On, we do episodes five times a week, and we did a whole episode on the Jimmy Butler trade and talked a lot about the Draymond Durant drama on Friday mornings podcast and also a little bit on Thursdays because it was parts of it were breaking as we were recording. So we did some live reaction at that point, And then, of course, game breakdowns, everything like that. We also, for those of you who listen to this on the early run of it, Nate and I will be doing the NBA cast, which is the new name and iteration of our alternate commentary is usually the term we use, live alternate announcers. And we're going to be doing Warriors-Rockets on Thursday, a fascinating game, arguably more fascinating without Steph Curry there, though the Rockets are playing a lot better now. And written work had a piece breaking down the CBA elements of the Jimmy Butler trade at the Athletic and a piece going through the logistics from the Warriors' perspective, should Kevin Durant choose to leave as a free agent in july of 2019 i wrote a piece laying that out because i get asked that a lot and so now i can just point to that piece and say hey here, here's where it is so you can check all that out whenever you want whenever you see fit and we'll be back with another episode of real Jam radio next week if you have any feedback good bad or indifferent danny nba at gmail.com is the way to share that input twitter is too ephemeral it's it's not a good way especially if you want to say something really substantive and I read it. My promise is that I will read everything. I'm not always the best about responding, but my solemn promise to you is that I always will read it because that is extremely important to me that if you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That's what I do. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.